Hi, I'm John Perkins. I'm a former economic hitman, chief economist uh, at a big consulting firm and uh, author of 10 books on transformation, primarily shamanism and global economics. And today on the show, we're going to be talking about all of those things about indigenous people and shamans and about being an economic hitman. Welcome back. My name is Dov Barron. I'm the host here at Curiosity Bites, and I'm here with my special guest, John Perkins. He is the author, he's an author, an activist who's written 10 books on global intrigue, shamanism, transformation, including the classic Confessions of a Hitman. Uh, by the way, in case you don't know, that book has now sold over 2 million copies, copies and has been printed in 35 languages. And before the break, we were talking about... Um, lots of stuff like fear for sale and uh, uh, perception most of all though in, in the concept and understanding this concept of the jaguar being the fear that we need to touch um, and John was telling us a little bit about his background and talking about being in the Peace Corps um, in the 60s and he, uh, shaman saving his life when he was about to die and you were telling us earlier John that there was a journey there can you walk us through a little bit of that just so our listeners, our viewers who've not been anywhere near that road can have a sense of that map? Sure. Um, so, uh, so uh, 1968, late 1968, I, I, I graduated from business school. I joined the Peace Corps uh, uh, primarily because I, 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 I did not want to go to Vietnam and mm -hmm. kill people. I had no quarrel with or be killed by them. <laughs> and the Peace Corps seemed like a reasonable alternative. And I also had a, a desire to spend time in the Amazon, quite mm. frankly. I, I grew up in New England, New Hampshire. I come from over 300 years of, of Yankees in, in that part of the world. Mm -hmm. uh, I'd had a fascination with how my ancestors had, had, had tried to coexist with the Algonquin-speaking peoples of that region. Mm -hmm. And when what went on between these two different, very, very different cult cultural societies. And I knew that the only place that was really continuing to, was occurring today that I could participate in was the Amazon. So I asked for the Amazon and everybody thought right. it was crazy. And I, I, maybe I was, <laughs> you know, when I got, once I got there, but then, you know, yeah, I think I was crazy to ask for this. Uh, but in any case, here I am deep in the Amazon rainforest. Uh, living in what's called schwa territory the schwa were hunters and gatherers if you've ever seen a shrunken head or a mm -hmm. picture of one the schwa did it uh, they're the only people on the planet today that that do is that, that right i don't know why i thought that was new guinea they're headhunters in new guinea but they don't shrink them right uh, there are other headhunters it's shrink them and they do that they do that for a reason it's to put the soul at rest it's not glory in their opinion it's it's a it's very different from the, our perception of it. It's not gory. It's putting the soul at rest. Mm -hmm. Anyway, uh, the, but there. The, so anyway, here I am. And after <clears throat> I've been there a little while, I get really really sick. I couldn't keep down any food, mm -hmm. and I was dying. It's just there's no question about it. I, I I couldn't I could I couldn't stand up without help. Um, and I certainly couldn't take the long long hike through the dense jungle to the nearest. Oh, dirt, terrible dirt road, mm -hmm. and then try to find a rickety old, what they call a chicken bus, <laughs> because they literally yeah. weren't clearing chickens, a lot of chickens. 
and take a two-day ride through, uh, you know, hairpin curves on a dirt road up and high into the Andes to the nearest medical facility. I, there was no way I could do that. No. So late one afternoon, the, uh, the school teachers, who's the one guy who speaks Spanish, everybody else speaks schwa, that, and I didn't speak schwa, I, I spoke lousy Spanish, but I could communicate with him. He, he brings up, he leads up this old man to me, and very, very short, and the old man, and he says, this guy is a shaman. I'm like, well, what the, what's a shaman? What's that? <laughs> yeah. The only shaman I know is in my bathroom. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, it conjured images of me of, the, of wagon trains moving out through the West in the 1800s and running into sure. witch doctors who were, who were scary. The, the movies portrayed them as scary. Again, perception. <laughs> yeah, that was perception. But in any case, I didn't feel I had any choice. I mean, this was it. Uh, so that night, the shaman takes me on a, uh, on, a, uh, uh, on a shamanic journey. We might call it a vision quest. And when I'm in this altered state, my eyes are closed, I, I, I begin to see this amorphous shape in front of me. And the jaguar, uh, sorry, the, the shaman yells at me, and this is tra being translated, but he says, touch the jaguar. And I'm like, Oh my God, you know, I'm in the middle of the jungle. Where's the jaguar? I'm terrified. Like, where's the jaguar? And, and he says, no, 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 it's just close your eyes. See the jaguar. And so this amorphous shape shifts into a jaguar. Yes. And the, and the jaguar, I hear this voice as I'm seeing this jaguar. It's a voice saying, son, the food and drink will kill you. It's like my mother's voice. And I got to say, you know, growing up in rural New England it, it, back in the 50s and so forth, we ate really bland, mild foods. Uh, and <laughs> Boiled potatoes, meat, yeah. and some nice white bread. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God, I don't think I'll ever shit again. <laughs> and canned, canned corn and canned peas. You know, exactly. You don't, you don't get anything fresh in New Hampshire in those days unless you were extremely wealthy, which we were not. Right. Uh, and so, um, but here I'm living with people that eat very strange foods. You know, a delicacy is squirming white grubs that you pull out of a rotting log and down the hatch. And they don't drink water from the rivers because the rivers they know are dangerous to drink. Uh, you know, in, in our terms, they've, they've got a lot of organic matter in them. There's a lot of, you know, bacteria in them from falling trees and dead animals yeah. and so forth. So the women make a kind of beer called chicha by chewing and, and, and spitting the manioc root. So that sets up a fermentation process and then they can add water mm. and it's safe to drink. And, you, you know, I'm drinking a lot of chicha because you're going to rehydrate a lot. Spit beer. <laughs> I'm eating a lot of... Come Delicious! Can't wait to see the table. Yeah, squirming white, squirming, <laughs> squirming white grubs and, and, and worse. And oh, here's some chicha right here. Saluted with chicha. You know, like, uh, this is not... Yeah. <laughs> well, ah, Starbucks, huh? So, not really. Um, <laughs> Just a cup. <laughs> so... Um, on this, when I touch this jaguar, I hear the voice saying, it'll kill you. The food and drink, the spit beer and the screaming white grubs will kill you. At the same time, I see how incredibly vibrant, viral, and uh, robust uh, the schwa are. Incredible. Like hunters and gatherers. I mean, they're strong mm -hmm. people. Right. And they, they've looked to be very old. They weren't killed in a hunting accident or, you know, dug out canoe tipping over or something like that. 
Uh, and so on that, that, that night, I saw that it was not the food and drink killing me. It was making them healthy. And I saw that, you know, in our modern terms, we'd say it's very organic and very local and extremely nutritious, actually. Yeah. <laughs> Green white grubs, as it turns out, have a lot of protein in them. Yep. Uh, so that night, I, I, I came to understand that it wasn't the food and drink that was killing me. It was my perception, mm -hmm. my mindset. Yeah. And... Uh, uh, you know, soon after that, the shaman required that I become his apprentice. And as I said, mm. I had no desire to do that, but uh, actually there wasn't anything else to do at that time. I, I was sent in to form credit and savings co-ops and the, the Peace Corps got it all wrong because these people had no, no money whatsoever. It was all, they weren't poor people. They were very prosperous in their own way, but they had, it yeah. was all barter. You know, my, my, my bananas for your papayas, that sort of thing. So... Um, I, I, I ended up studying with, with him and that's when he, he told me about, you know, so basically what he, he, he said is, is he, if you look at, we could look at it in our terms, is that there's a reality here and that's spit beer and squirming white grubs. And there's a bridge, a perception bridge. Mm -hmm. And on the, if you, that perception bridge says that will kill you, it takes you to this reality, which is sickness. Mm -hmm. If you change, if you take the same original reality, squirming white grubs and spit beer, and you have a new perception, this food will make you healthy. Mm -hmm. It takes you to a different reality. And that's what I learned from the shaman. And of course, I also learned local rituals and so forth. And then later, when I became an economic hitman, that was all about selling perceptions to the world about how to, how to make economic development work. And that's another subject we can get into if you want. But I also would take time out to, to learn from shamans in many other cultures and many other countries. And all of them have the same concept. And again, they all, they all have different kinds of rituals, different ways of expressing it. But the concept is that you, you, you impact reality by, through your perceptions. You change reality through changing perceptions. And then I came to understand, well, that's what economists do. That's what yes. executives do. That's what business is all about. That's what education is all about. That's yep. what everything is <laughs> basically all about. You know, you, we know that even in medicine, that the placebo effect has a, is very, very powerful. Um, so that's, the, that's well, the, the guiding principle. Well, as Bruce Lipton said, you know, um, we, 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 you know, the primacy of DNA was collapsed as an idea a long time ago because we know it's epigenetics. We know it's the environment and the environment is the perception. The environment is not even the environment. The environment is the perception of the environment. Is this a terrifying place or is this an exciting place? Put me on a, on a roller coaster and I'm, you know, people think of me as pretty fearless and I used to be a full blown adrenaline junkie doing all kinds of crazy stuff. But if you put me on a roller coaster, you know, I need a diaper. But I've done insane, insane things, including free climbing, you know. So, you know, what is it? It's a perception. It's nothing more than that. But here's the piece I'm fascinated with. First of all, uh, this is the 60s. Um, you know, flower power is happening in the United States on one side, and the civil rights world is going on on the other side. People often forget that, you know. The, the summer of love and, you know, let's go, let's go to San Francisco. Scott McKenzie, for us old people in the room who remember that. Um, you know, on one side, and on the other side, you've got, you know, the police doing pretty much what they're doing today, 
beating the snot out of people who uh, disagree with the government. But at the same time, they're trying to break away from that rigidity. And it's, for me, it was very much a, um, it is a perception of the time, which is the rigidity is setting the dogs on people and the other side is breaking away and doing drugs. But it sounds like this New Hampshire boy who has gone into the Peace Corps doesn't seem like a hippie guy who's now gone into uh, that world uh, of shamanism. So the idea of going on the journey, which means taking organic drugs, taking you know what they give you, which is going to give one could say hallucinations or others would say a vision. Did you, I just want to help people to understand that because I know um, we, we have a guest on the show who is one of the leading experts in microdosing of, um, of LSD and uh, doing phenomenal work with people with depression and PTSD. When you went into that world, did you have a perception of the perception? <laughs> Meaning, did you have a perception of, oh my God, this is terrible, bad stuff, like the grubs and like the spit beer? You, you're referring to like ayahuasca? Did I have a perception? Well, ayahuasca or whatever, you know, it could have been Cambo, could have been whatever it was that we don't oh, even so, know of. No, you know, so that night uh, that I mentioned when the shaman healed me, you know, I'm I'm carried, basically carried into his house, his lodge, beautiful, beautiful, beautiful structure, you know, and, and, and thatched roof, uh, you know, bamboo stake walls. It was just, it was, it was really quite beautiful. Uh, but I'm carried in and, and sat down on this bench. My, my back propped up is the only way I can sit up. And he sits down in front of me with a on this little stool, and, and he 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 has this 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 gourd with some liquid in it, and he he sings into it, and, he, he, and you know he kind of blows into it. It's almost like he spits into it, but I don't know. He blows into it, and he. He hands it to me. I have no idea what this is. It was ayahuasca, but I'd never heard of ayahuasca in any in any, in any case. No, no, nobody in those days that I knew had. Uh, and uh, I, I take it as it's foul tasting. It's really bitter. But <laughs> but I had yeah. Well, when I was in New Hampshire as a kid growing up, I, I they gave me some pretty awful tasting medicine sometimes too. You know, <laughs> and some of the liquid. This is just another version of Buckley's. <laughs> yeah. So, tastes, tastes bad, but works. Yeah, so I, I had no preconceived idea of any of this, and then the next thing I know, I'm I'm vomiting, and 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 I haven't eaten in in, in days. Basically, I've been vomiting a lot, mm -hmm. <laughs> and so there's really nothing coming up. I mean, it's what we'd call a dry, you know, dry heaves. Dry heaving. But, yeah. but but what I'm seeing is snakes and and demons coming out as I'm as I'm diving these dry heaves off to my bench. I'm seeing these things come out. It's energy. And wow. I really learned this is energy I'm seeing. This is these messages that have changed my perception. But uh, I had no idea what was going on. And I eventually, it, probably, probably because I was so weak and so sick, I just, I just gave into it. And that's right. when I saw this amorphous form. And he said, touch the jaguar. And the, the jaguar gave me this strong message. And it wasn't too long after that that I, I fell asleep, essentially. And the next morning I woke up and, and I was feeling great and, and I was able to eat. And, and, and they, the schwa instructed me to take it kind of easy for the first day or two, but eat and drink some more chicha. <laughs> and, uh, uh, you know, then, then I became, I recovered. And, right. and, uh, so I had, you know, there was no preconceived idea there. But then later when he, 
part of my training with him was to as an ayahuasca to to prepare ayahuasca and do that. Mm -hmm. So I came from this place of having a great respect for that plant, and and it was ingrained in me. You don't take that very often, uh, and the, and the shamans take small amounts when they give it to other people. Usually, it's a very small amount compared to mm -hmm. what they give to you or someone else, but. You know, unlike some of the stuff I hear today in our culture where people are, the other day, well, now it's probably a couple of months ago, a guy asked me, he said, so how many times have you taken ayahuasca in the last year? I did it 20 times, he said. And I'm like, well, the last time I did it was 10 years ago, and I'm still processing that. And what I learned is, you know, there's a lot of processing. Ayahuasca or any of those substances or any any portals that we enter, whether it's with a drum or chanting, and, and there's so many different portals. The, the yep. plants, one one of them, you know, it, it opens you up to seeing something that then you got to put a lot of work into. Uh, it's not like it's a silver bullet that suddenly changes your life. It may it may change your perspective on life. It may help you see a new perception. But as we mentioned before, perceptions then re require Must change be moved to action. Yeah, value and action, and that's the work that has to be done. So if you just keep taking a substance like this that once a month or, or whatever, uh, it's not going to do its work. Well, th that's the point to me is that, um, you know, people ask me, and I'm open about it, that I am pro-legalization of all drugs. Um, Portugal has proved that that works, uh, and the war on drugs um, – from Nixon onward is a bit, been a complete shit show that has had massive devastation on people of color. Um, so yeah, I definitely want to see that gone. Um, but the, these people, people are, are chasing change without change. And that's what I see with all this. I, I want to change, but I don't want to do the work. So I'm going to do an ayahuasca weekend in the Amazon or on Whitby Island or on Salt Spring Island or, you know, wherever it is. And they do have great awareness, but I don't know that it changed anything. And that's why, that's why I asked you the previous question, which is you have this experience completely foreign to you. Um, you know, you're a Peace Corps, New Hampshire kid. Now you're in this shamanistic world you have a journey, you have an experience, but you come back to economics. You come back to that world. And did you sort of forget um, the shift or was it sort of in the background? Did you compartmentalize it? So just to give you context, in 1990, I fell off a mountain, got smashed to pieces while free climbing, fell 120 feet, 12 stories. When people say it must have changed you. And I go, no, it didn't. It embedded me. And they go, what do you mean? I said, when people would ask me, how you doing? I would say, I'm great. I'm coming back. My ego got stronger, not weaker. And for a perception to change and for actions to change and for us to change, we have to collapse the ego, at least semi-permanently. So it didn't change me. What changed me was about 18 months later when the depression was so dark and so depressive that I fell into such a dark state that I had to, as Campbell says, I had to enter into the dark cave and face my demons. I had to go in there and I had to do that work, which was again about another 18 months. So it's not often the moment, it's what follows on. And, it's, and what I said to people is that I, 
immediately wanted, I would always say, I'm great, I'm coming back, because I wanted to go back to my perception of the world. I didn't want to get rid of that, even though I'd had this experience. And it sounds like you have this world that you've come out of, you've had this break from that reality in the Amazon, but it sounds like then you go back into the old world. That is my perception, it's not the truth. Is that, is that how it was, or was it different than that, John? Well, that's, that's a way of viewing it, but, but let's remember, so what my shamanic journey, in, in, including the ayahuasca, was all about was changing my perception of the, that particular culture. Yes. The food, the food, but that, that did lead to my changing a, a perception about the culture in general and about mm -hmm. shamanism. Yes. And so it, it had nothing to do with, with changing anything that I learned in business school or throughout the, my, the, most of my education. So, mm -hmm. but it was very effective at changing. <laughs> you know, after that, and I studied with a shaman, suddenly not only did it change my perception of their culture, but it changed the people's perception of me. Because up until then, I told them I came to form a credit savings co-op and they looked at me like I was crazy because they, they don't have any money. And they didn't even know what that meant. But the teacher knew and he's like, well, are you crazy? Like, we can't do that here. But, but beyond that, they wondered, so why is this guy here? What's he doing here? What's he, what's he trying to take from us? Because their experience with the outside world had been that it was all a bunch of takers. Yeah. <laughs> and then when the shaman saved my life and I started studying with him and really trying to learn his, you know, about the culture, their, people's attitude toward me changed. I became one of them. They, they, they ended up initiating me as a shwa, giving me a shwa name and so on and so forth. So it, it changed all that. But then... <clears throat> I came out of the Peace Corps. I, I stayed in an extra year because I, I came to like it so much. At the beginning, I hated it and I liked it. And after three years, I came out and I, I did what I'd been trained to do in business school. I became a, an economist and then chief economist. And, and I have to say that all of the, the, the education in, in the business schools, and, and still it's this way, and the World Bank will tell you said, if you do what I did, and my job was to identify countries that had resources our corporations want, like mm. oil, and with my staff to then write very fancy reports and, 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 and econometric mathematical model studies that would show that if you invest <clears throat> what today would be billions of dollars in uh, electric power grid or uh, ports or highways or industrial parks, the economy of the country grows. Yep. So, and my job was to convince leaders that that would be the case and they needed to take out huge loans from the World Bank or other U.S. controlled organizations. And they didn't actually ever get the money. They, they signed off on the loans. They, they, they committed their resources as collateral. <laughs> and, but the money went to our own corporations, the, the Bechtels and Halliburton's and Brown, they're big engineering firms to, and, and the General Electrics and, and the manufacturers to build these infrastructure projects. So these companies made huge profits. The, the infrastructure made huge amounts of money for a few families in the country, the ones that own yeah. industry. Yeah. But it, and, and, it, and statistically, that looks really good because yes. GDP statistics are totally skewed in favor of the rich. Of course. So, so though, if you take in this country, the United States, Yep. Uh, we, could, we know today there's three individuals who have as much wealth as half the population of the United States. If those three individuals last year made an average of 10% return on their investment, 
and half the, the, the country lost 3%, we're still going to show a growth of GDP of something around 5%. Right. And, but that's, that, that no, nobody knows that. I mean, very few people get that. You know, it's, this is held up as, as the Bible, you know, like, oh, yeah, GDP growth. So my training had been that what I was doing as an economic hitman was a big service to these countries by convincing them to accept these loans. And, you know, but I also began to understand that, that presidents were, leaders of countries were put in very, very difficult positions because I'm going in and I'm saying, hey, here's a few billion dollars you and your family are going to really gain from this. Or if you don't buy into this deal, here's a gun. And I didn't carry a gun, but I knew that behind me were people we call the jackals. Mm -hmm. And these are usually CIA assets, not necessarily yep. employees, but the hired guns mm -hmm. who will either overthrow or assassinate countries' leaders who don't agree. I mean, you know, and, and the United States has admitted to this, that we did this, that the CIA was deeply involved in the overthrow and the death of Salvador Allende of Chile and Arbenz of Guatemala and Mossadegh of Iran and Lumumba of the Congo and Ziem of Vietnam and on and on, almost recently in that 2009 Zalaya of Honduras. So these presidents are put in this position of knowing that they're either going to they're going to kind of screw their countries and make a lot of money for themselves, and maybe they can help their countries a little bit, or they're going to be taken out. And I didn't, you know, over time I began to see the insidiousness of this, and because I spoke Spanish by then fluently, I could talk to people on the street, and I and and I became friends with Omar Torrijos, the head of state of Panama, and he was very aware of all of this. Mm. And he told me, you know, he was he he really enlightened me. And incidentally, you know, uh, he did not buy into my deals, as neither did Jaime Roldos, another client of mine, the president of Ecuador, and they were both, in, in my opinion, assassinated. They both died in two, 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 1981 from. In their plane crashes, their private planes, and mm. within three months, of, less than three months of each other, and there's no question in most people's minds, including mine, that those were assassinations. But there's no smoking gun because when you die in a plane crash, the smoking gun <laughs> goes up in smoke, quite literally. Uh, so, you know, it took a lot. It took a long time uh, for me to understand the insidiousness of this situation that I was in. So how long were you in the perception of you were one of the good guys saving these countries? You know, because I, I remember, I, I remember Rhodesia I, I rem and I remember um, in 89 talking about, and I think at the time it was that the World Bank owned the mineral rights to 17 countries in Africa. I think it was 17. It might have been. 13 or 19, oh, my brain's getting a bit fuzzy right now. But they had taken the mineral rights against the loans. And people were like, well, isn't that good? Well, not really, because where are the minerals? They're in the earth. And so if you own the land, you actually don't own the land, because if they own the mineral rights, they can take your land and drill for the minerals. So, you know, I remember what they did um, uh, in removing Ian Smith in Rhodesia and other countries like that. Um, and I'm seeing it again with China now. It's fascinating for me to watch those patterns re-emerging now. So I really want to, I want to come into to that. We've got to take another break, but I want to come into the economic manipulation and what that, 
like what are people not seeing today that you and I might have a better view of, you certainly would have a far greater view of, that just seems to be, we're sold the, the pablum version of it, but we don't really, we don't go, we, most people don't go below the depth. So we're going to come back in a moment and talk about being an economic hitman and the impact on, on countries and what about that is still going on today that obviously you're not part of. 